So good. So good to see everybody here today. Uh, man, I, I don't know if you guys experienced the upper lot, but it's all paved with a beautiful new black top. Just amazing. Incredible. Smooth like butter. It's incredible. Some of you had to park in the lower lot. All right. Sorry about that. It's not freshly paved. At least it's not quite the off-road experience that we've been having for the last few weeks. So, And then I'm told that the front lot will be done this week in Jesus' name. So things are happening. And uh, thank you so much just for your, your patience and your faithfulness and your willingness to be flexible and, and uh, put up with all of the, uh, the newness that's happening. Man, what a, what a just a blessing this building is, y'all. We are, we are uh, renters no more. We have our first permanent home, and God's already using it in such a powerful way. Come on, can we give him praise today? He's so good. Thank you, Lord. And just thank you for everybody who's just been uh, such a, a part of this. Your, your faithfulness, your giving, your generosity. I, I just love our church. So excited about what God's doing. Uh, God is on the move. Uh, it's just really, really fun to, to see and be a part of. Let's take a minute. Let's welcome, before we get too far along in our message, let's welcome everybody who's watching online right now via the interwebs. We love you online, all right? We wish you were here, were here but we're glad that you're there. And um, we're glad that everybody's here joining us. Today, we are in this series called God Is, and we're looking at the names of God, okay? And so the idea with the series is that if God really is who he says he is, if he is the creator, if he is the one who this whole thing's really about, all right, like let's say that's true. If that's true, then what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And what, what comes into your mind when you think about God? And that's what A.W. Tozer says. He says it's the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And so what we're doing in this series, we're going through the names of God. And these are, these are names that have been given to God by people throughout history. All right, So, so different people in the, in the Bible have these interactions with God. And then they leave saying God's like this. They give God a nickname, as it were. They give him a nickname and say he's like this. And we've been, we've been talking about some of those. He's like a father. He's our righteousness. He is there and he's here. And so we've been unpacking that over the last few weeks. If you missed any of those messages, I really want to encourage you to go online and, and check them out. And even if you have, like, been watching these messages, man, go back and listen to it because this content, this content will help you pray better. I really believe that. This content will help you love better. It will help you live better. It will help you give better because, because when you know who God is, you know who you are. And that's really, really important. And so uh, I, want to, I want to just encourage you, make sure you're dialing these things into your spirit. And uh, we're all growing and, and getting a little bit closer to Jesus as a result. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about how God is holy. Holy. Everybody say holy. He's holy. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you just think, okay, this service will be no fun. You immediately think the service is not going to be fun, right? Because we think holy means God's all about taking the fun out of things. You're having fun? Stop that. Be holy. That's kind of how we picture it. Maybe you kind of grew up like that. I, I, know, I know I did going to, a, to, to a, a parochial school where it was all about following the rules and, it was a, and a nun was there ready to take that ruler and whap right across the fingers. Man, I mean, it was like, I didn't even realize she could take that ruler out so fast. 
you know, and I was always in trouble. True story. I was always in trouble. I was always getting my, my, my fingers slapped with that ruler. So when I think about holy, I, I, you know, th- there's that can come into our minds, right? Or you think about stained glass. You think about, you know, churches that kind of have a funny smell to them. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Or like when you're walking out, they have that holy water, which is just like, just don't go near it. People are like, it's just everybody's hands been in it. Like, I don't want to touch that. If anything, it's unholy because everybody's hands have been in it. <laughs> and so you might be thinking about that. You think about God taking the fun out of things. But what I want to do is I want to help you understand really what his holiness means to us and what it brings to us. Because the fact that God is holy is what makes him so pure and so altogether beautiful. It's, it's, like, it's like when something is truly pure, it is, it is the best that it could possibly be, right? If you have pure, natural spring water, come on, you water, you know, bougie water people. Come on, you got to get that natural water, spring water. Okay, you know, it's like, or if it's, you know, like steak. You got to have your steak just pure, raw, still mooing a little bit. Some of you sin against God and you cook your steaks medium well, and the Lord The Lord has grace for you, but there needs to be repentance. There needs to be repentance. Um, Or, you know, when when, when something gets, when something's not pure, it gets contaminated, right? And that thing is less good. Have you ever got to a restaurant and you're so excited for your your meal and you started in on it and you found a hair? I mean, it, it doesn't really matter if it was short or long. It's just disgusting. Maybe sometimes the shorter, the more disgusting. I don't know. I'm sorry. I know it's church. We just ruined church with that. Okay. But have you, have you ever, have you ever taken a bite out of the food and then realized after you took the bite that the hair was in the food and you start... Taking it out of your mouth. I'm getting sick just thinking about it. Like I have a very like sensitive gag reflex. It's not good. But but the thing the thing about purity is that once it's contaminated, it's it's no longer good. Like it's like you you don't want to eat. You know, it's hard to like eat the rest of the salad. It's hard. It's it's because it's like it's been contaminated. It's all, it's all been up in there. And the thing about God's holiness is that it's uncontaminated. It's pure. So you, every, t- every bite is delicious. Every, every part of who God is is uncontaminated. You can trust it. You can count on it. You can trust God because he is uncontaminated. He is pure. He is holy. That's what makes him so good. So what it actually does is God's holiness accentuates every other part of his character. So we've been talking about these names, right? These names of God. So he's a father. Because he's a holy father, it means he's a perfect father. He's uncontaminated. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't push things too far. He gives the right amount of love and discipline. He's perfect. You can count on him. 
Because he is our righteousness. Sid Canoe, we talked about that. He's our righteousness. Because he is holy, our righteousness, that, that we can know that, that we're completely covered. That, that there's never going to be a moment where God's like, no, 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 I don't forgive that. I, don't, I, I, won't, I won't allow that. God forgives. He covers. You can count on him. You can take the goodness of God to the bank because he's holy. It's amazing. So he's pure. He's dependable. He's consistent. He has no fault. And it is beautiful because he's holy. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The word holy is the word kadesh. And it comes from the uh, root Hebrew word kadesh, which means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So this would be something like, you know, if you have a, a piece of china that like you're like, oh, this is only set apart for special occasions. Like we only take out this fine china when grandma and grandpa come over or, you know, at Thanksgiving time. This is set apart for a specific purpose. That's the idea. That's the idea, that there is a set-apartness to the thing that is holy. And so when we're saying God is holy, we're basically saying he is different. He is unique. He is set apart. And there is no one like him. And that's what, that's what the revelation that Isaiah has in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I want to uh, encourage you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to be looking at this vision that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah has of God. He has this vision of God, and it's God in his temple. So he's kind of having this idea, like he's visioning God, and, and he's, he's thinking about God in the temple. So it's, the temple was local where they worshiped God, right? You had the most holy place. That's where the presence of God was. Then you had different varying degrees of, of courts that led into that. And then there was outer courts. Where, where people could come and worship. So Isaiah is having this vision of God in the temple, and the takeaway from all of it is that God is holy. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. One of the cool things about this passage specifically, well, actually, I would say all of the, the names that we've talked about so far in this series, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but all of them have the gospel in them. It's that, that God loves sinners and came to redeem sinners and has a plan for sinners and wants to use us to reach sinners and, and, and we're all part of this redemption strategy. That's been a part of, in varying degrees, a part of every name that we've covered so far. But this name in this instance, this may be the most succinct and distinct way that, that God communicates the gospel in the Old Testament. In fact, I was trying to think of another way that he, that he does it in a more clear way, and I, I don't think that you can find one in the Old Testament. And, and basically, we were talking after the first service. Basically, this is in Isaiah chapter 6. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all put into one little passage when Isaiah gets this revelation of God, and God is holy, and it's amazing, and it makes a difference in our lives. So if you're ready to jump in and be changed, say, I am. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I want to read the whole passage, and I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep myself from stopping because I like to stop and explain. But I want to keep myself from stopping. I want to get through all the way through it because I want this just to hit you. And then we'll, we'll, we're literally going to walk through verse by verse and pull these points right from the scripture, and you're going to see the gospel in the Old Testament. All right, verse 1. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim, these angelic creatures, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is an amazing passage of scripture. I mean, this is rich with meaning and content. And I promise if, if, if you would dive into this with me, you're going to see the gospel. You're going to see God's goodness. You're going to see God's holiness. And you're going to walk away changed. Now, there's three takeaways that I think we can have from having a revelation of God's holiness. And so write these down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, you can write these down. All right, number one, wow, he's awesome. Everybody say, wow, he's awesome. With a, maybe just a little bit more uh, enthusiasm. It's kind of like, wow, he's awesome. All right, so how about, wow, he's awesome. There we go. That's what's up. And then how about, uh, whoa, I've got issues. Come on, sorry that. You do. And then, and then, whoa, let's go change the world. That's kind of like a Bill and Ted, whoa. You know, it's like, whoa, let's go change the world. Wow, he's awesome. Whoa, I've got some issues. And whoa, let's go change the world. Wow turns to whoa turns to woe, let's go. Whoa. All right. Now, write that down because that's, that's the idea here. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Wow, God's amazing, turns to woe, man, I'm not, to he redeems me, and woe, let's go take this to the world. That's what happens for Isaiah, and I want to unpack that together, okay? So before we, before we dive into this, I want you to find 16 people next to you and say, whoa, let's go. Come on, try and find 16 people and say, whoa, let's go. Whoa. Wow. All right, number one, when you see God as holy, you will say, wow, he's awesome. You're going to say, wow, he's awesome. Now, honestly, I was, I was reluctant to use the word awesome because we use it so much. Awesome has become overused. Thank you, 80s. 1980s, ruined awesome. 
you know. And so, so everything's awesome today, you know. Our Chipotle at lunch was awesome, you know. Our, 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 uh, our coffee from Starbucks was awesome. Our, our, our kids' soccer game was awesome. They played awesome. It was awesome, you know. But I want you to take that idea of awesome and put it to the side and think a little bit more like, like I believe awesome was actually intended to be used, which is awe-inspiring. Think more like, think more like the Great Barrier Reef, awesome. You know, the, the Swiss Alps, awesome. The Rocky Mountains, awesome. You know, you see the Grand Canyon, come on somebody, awesome. Think more awe-inspiring where it literally takes your breath away. Because that's what is happening to Isaiah when he encounters God. Now, I want to give you the context because the scripture gives us the context. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. It's the first thing that we read is that King Uzziah dies. He was a decent king for most of his life, but he didn't finish well. He, the Bible says that his pride led to his downfall. You can read the story in, I believe it's 2 Chronicles. But the important thing for you and me today as we're looking at this passage of Scripture is to know that there's a transition of leadership. There's a transition of leadership. The king has died. And, and in any country, when the leadership changes, it's a big deal. But in that day, it's especially a big deal because it pretty much like completely fell on the leader. Like we have a government and like things are going to keep moving forward. But in that day, it's like it's the leader. As the leader went, so did the nation go. Like that's kind of how it was. And so when the leader dies, it's a, who's going to take his place? Are we going to have a wicked king? Is this person going to lead like the whole nation into idol worship? Like there's a lot of concern here for the whole nation. And Isaiah is one of those people who's freaking out. And he has this revelation of God in this context. And that really is important. So watch this. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne. Now, he's seated on a throne in the temple. And so this is a vision that, I, that Isaiah is having of God and what God is ultimately wanting to do. And I love that he says high and exalted. If you're taking notes, write that down. High and exalted. When Isaiah sees God, Isaiah is experiencing a bit of chaos because the, the leadership transition. He's not sure where the nation's gonna go. Is the nation gonna serve God or, or serve themselves and serve idols? So he's worried, he's experiencing chaos, and it's in the midst of this chaos that he sees God where? High and exalted. He's saying, God's up there. I've got issues down here, but God's up there. How many of you know, the higher you get, the better perspective you have? Okay, have you ever been in a helicopter? Raise your hand, have you ever been in a helicopter? Okay, have you, have you ever been in a plane? Raise your hand, have you been in a plane? Okay, have you ever seen a plane flying overhead in any way? Okay, he's okay. All of us, if you ever get a chance to be in a plane and you get by, by the window, my wife loves the window seat. I love the aisle seat. I love the aisle seat. I've seen everything out the windows. I want quick access to the bathroom. Come on, somebody. <laughs> my wife loves the window seat. 
She loves looking at, she loves seeing it. I think she thinks she can control what's happening a little bit better there. She's just keeping her eye on it. Just not sure. I don't know if he knows what he's doing, but at least I can see if we're going to (laughs) die. Me, I don't want to (laughs) know. I just want to wake up in heaven. But when you're, when, you're, when you're flying high in the air, you have better perspective, don't you? You have better perspective. You see, you see how everything works together. You see where things are starting. You see where things are ending. You have better perspective the higher you go, elevation-wise. And what Isaiah is saying, he's saying, I'm seeing God, and God's up there, and he's got perspective. And although I have chaos happening. God sees things. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. You know what he's saying? God's bigger. That's a great place for an amen. God's God's bigger than kings. He's bigger than administrations. I won't blow your mind. He's bigger than countries. He's, He's bigger than the world. He's high and exalted. He's bigger than dead kings, and he's bigger than dead dreams. He's high and exalted, and he has a better perspective. And when you come into his presence, you start worshiping him, and you start exalting him, and you start magnifying him. You see him for who he is, and you see how big he is and how exalted he is. And he starts giving you his perspective. That's one of the beauty... Uh, the beautiful things that happens in worship. When you start worshiping God, he starts giving you his perspective on things. And he becomes bigger and your problems become smaller. As you magnify the Lord, you don't see him, you don't, you're not like trying to make him bigger, you're just seeing him for how big he is. And all of a sudden, the things that you're dealing with look, look not as significant the, th- the second thing I, I think is really powerful is that he's high and exalted, but he's also seated on a throne. He's seated on a throne. And I love this because it's a, it's a posture of status, right? It's a posture of control. He's seated on his throne. That's what monarchs would do. They would, they would sit on a throne and, and they would rule and reign from their throne. And what they would say from their throne was, was the law of the land. What happens when we go through tumultuous times? We start freaking out, right? It's like you get that phone call, things aren't going well. You look at, you look at the bank account, you get that bill that's not, you know, it was unexpected. You start freaking out. You're not sitting down, right? It's the last thing you're going to do. You're going to start freaking out. You go, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, man. Oh, this is, we're going to go back and forth. Oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, I'm going to start complaining. I'm going to start whining. I'm going to go to a functional savior, we're going, to get, we're going to do something, but we're not going to sit because that's the last thing we're going to do. But God is sitting while everybody else is panicking because God isn't panicking. Because why? He's on the throne. God is seated on the throne. He reigns. He's in control. The problems that we face are not making him freak out. It's not like God's up in heaven and, and you know, you, you have your problem and, and you're freaking out and, and it comes to God and, and he's like, I don't know. I, I mean, never seen this before. 
I don't know what to do. Angels, come here. Look at this. This is a, this is classic right here. This is, I, I don't, I mean, what do you guys think? He's never doing that. You know where God is? Seated on not just a throne, but the throne, the throne of the universe. He reigns over it all. He sustains it all. Your problem, I'm not saying it's not significant, but he's still on the throne. Your marriage, it might be in a difficult situation, but I want you to know he's still on the throne. He's still in control. You, you, the, the, you might have a medical diagnosis that's freaking you out. God's still on the throne. You start worshiping him. We're going to worship here in just a few moments. You start worshiping him. You start exalting him. You start lifting him high and exalted. You are going to see him in control. That's the beauty of taking time to worship and say, holy, holy, holy. He's not freaking out. I love this too. And then go, the next verse, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So the temple is filled with the glory of God. Now, this is different because the temple, there was only one place that had the glory of God. It was the most holy place. It was the most holy place. That's the only place that the presence of God filled. Everywhere else was disconnected. But now God is painting a picture where his presence will break out beyond the curtain and fill the whole temple, ultimately resulting in the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see the picture there? So you have God's presence breaking out of the most holy place, filling the temple, and now the whole earth being full of his glory. We'll tuck that away for a second. We'll come back to that in a minute. But that's an amazing thought. But these angels, what are they singing? They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, the apostle John gets also a revelation of what's happening in heaven. So now this is actually, this is in heaven, not just a vision of the temple and God give, like, re giving a revelation. This is actually heaven. And it's verse 8. Revelation 4, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. That's a little creepy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Even under its wings, day and night, they never stop. Everybody say never stop. They never stop saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They say it and then they say it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they say it again. Holy, I'm not going to do this the rest of the service. You're like, Scott, point made, got it. In Hebrew, they didn't have exclamation points. And so in order to bring emphasis to something, they would, they would say it twice. So if you're like, someone's saying, oh, dude, you're cool. You'd be like, dude, you're cool, cool. Turn to someone and say, dude, you're cool, cool. Just tell them you're cool, cool. Cool, cool. But if you really wanted to be cool, you'd be cool, cool, cool. All right, like that was like, 
<laughs> it was like cool to the utmost. I was like, it was like cool to infinity. <laughs> sorry, I said, Bill and Ted. I'm sorry, stuck in Bill and Ted right now. But like, you're cool, cool, cool. So if you're saying something three times, if you're saying something three times, it, you're, you're really emphasizing it. In fact, there is only one attribute of God that is said three times in all of Scripture. And it's holy, holy, holy. They just keep saying, you are different. You are other than. You are better than. You are unique. You are the one. You are it. You were, you are, and you forever will be. There is no one like you. You are the greatest. You are the strongest. You are the biggest. There is no one like you. And the best way that we can say it is by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are awesome. You're inspiring. And see what happens when you give God worth, when you lift up God, when you give him honor and praise and glory, when you start making him the greatest thing and, and you are now becoming not the greatest thing, it is powerful. It is powerful. And they, they just keep saying it. There's no one like you. You're awesome worthy of praise. So that's the first thing. When you see God is holy, you will say, wow, he's awesome. And then the second thing is when you see God is holy, you will say, whoa, I've got some issues. God is moving in front of Isaiah. God's moving. These, these seraphim are saying, they're, they're worshiping. Look at this, verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Check this out. They're praising God, and the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Guys, that's why worship is loud, and we use fog machines. It's biblical. It's biblical. I don't know what else you need. Thank you, subwoofers, which are apparently being used right now in the kids' area. I don't know if you can hear it. This side can't. Um, and his response to God moving in power is, Whoa! Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Apparently, he had a potty mouth, and so did everybody else. I actually don't know what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe it could be, that he, he, doesn't, he's, he doesn't speak with faith. Maybe it's not he's, he's not speaking words that glorify God. I don't know what he's talking about, but he's in the presence of God, and he's saying, my mouth is bad, and everybody else's mouth is bad. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The word woe there is the word, uh, it, means, it basically means to an impassioned expression of grief and despair. So he's seeing God, and he's like, oh. They, literally, the Hebrew is, oh, He's seeing God, and his response is, oh, I've got some issues. He's like, I've, I, I've got issues, and, and I live among people with issues. It's incriminating. It's incriminating to be in the presence of greatness, isn't it? 
Have you ever been, like, around somebody who's really, really great at something? It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? You know, we we had the the chance to go watch uh, the Warriors play this year in Oklahoma, and... uh, and Steph Curry was warming up, and, like, he's draining threes from, like, it felt like, you know, 60 feet. I mean, he was just nuts. Easy. I mean, have you seen him shoot? I mean, just, a, bam, three. It's just amazing. It's amazing. And so my, my boys and I were all just like, oh, that's so amazing. Steph is the man. We are just, like, so excited. And then, you know, we're like, we can't wait to go home and shoot, you know. No kidding. I'm like eight feet out, air ball. It's like, I mean, he makes it look so easy. It's kind of like, it's intimidating. When someone makes something look really, like when someone's so amazing or like a master painter, you go and look at some amazing artwork at a museum. You're like, wow, that's incredible. Then you go home and you got your little watercolors out. He's <laughs> like, it doesn't compare. Or, you, you know, you listen to Beyonce sing. You're like, you're, like, you're singing in the shower, and then you're like, you, oh, yeah, you, oh, let's listen to a little Beyonce. And then you start singing, you're like, turn her up. <laughs> it, it's intimidating. It's intimidating to be in the presence of greatness. It's kind of almost like that, except like to the millionth, gazillionth degree with God. He's so altogether different. He's so altogether perfect. He's so altogether lovely. He's so altogether wonderful. And you are so altogether not. And you're so, you're in his presence and it's just exposing that. And it's just like, it's just like, oh. That's what happens when we read the word of God, isn't it? When you read the Bible, you'll get into the Bible and God will start speaking some stuff to you. That's why being in the word is so important or, or coming into the presence of God. Maybe today you experience that as we're starting to worship and you started to like enter in and God starts like poking on something. He's like, hey, good to see you. By the way, remember yesterday? <laughs> Let's sort that out. Let's sort that out. And some of you are like, Scott, you're making this sound like it's actually a good thing. It's actually the best thing. Because when we keep... When, Continuing to sin only continues to bring death and separation into our lives. But when, we, when, when God starts pushing on something, it's because he wants to bring it up so he can take it away. Look at, that's what happens. That's the gospel. Look at this. This is Old Testament. But look in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and when he had taken which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth and, see, and said, See, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So he's taking this, this coal off the altar, which is where the sacrifices are being made, brings it and touches his lips and says, your sin is taken away. Can you imagine being Isaiah in this moment? Like you're seeing like all of this, these, like these seraphim, weird, creepy creatures. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And then one of them flies over. You know, again, one, two wings are covering their eyes. Two wings are covering their feet. And then they're flapping with the other ones. And they come and they grab, grab the coal. And you're freaking out. You're already like, what in the world? And it's bringing this hot coal towards your face. <laughs> and, 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 he, and the lips are very sensitive. And, and he's, he's got done saying, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm a, my, my mouth is unclean. I live among people who are unclean. And, and it's like, oh, God's going to take care of that. I was going to burn your mouth off. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He brings the coal, and instead of hurting him, it heals him. And it takes his guilt away. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. God says you're broken of your sin, rightfully so, but instead of making you feel bad, he makes you feel amazing. What is this pointing to? What is all of that pointing to? Jesus. Because it's still Old Testament. But Isaiah is having a vision of a reality where God will come and take sin away. And instead of, instead of, instead of pouring out his wrath, which we deserve, our sin deserves it, we've all messed up, all of us. But instead of pouring out his wrath, he pours out his grace. Instead of, instead of burning our mouths off, he takes our guilt from us. He's pointing to Jesus. This is the good news. You may, have come, you may have come in here, and you're very aware of your sin. You're very aware of the things that you've done that have separated you from God. I want you to know there is a God in heaven, the God, the God, the one who is seated on the throne. And he says, I'm going to send my son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. In fact, Isaiah is the one, we talked about this last week, that prophesies about a virgin who will give birth. And Matthew, right before he references that, references this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God doesn't want to heap punishment on you. He actually was punished for you. He doesn't want to beat you up over your sin. Jesus came to get beat up for your sin. His perfection is what allows us to experience this holiness of God. And instead of becoming, instead of impurifying the thing that we're touching, holiness is touching us and making us pure. You can stand right before God. You can come into the presence of God. You can worship at the end of the service. When we go into worship, you can worship with abandon, with freedom, with, with a recklessness because God has taken your sin from you if you are in Christ Jesus. And that is very good news. Very good news. Okay, do we have a role? Do we have a role to play? Should we be holy as well? Or can we just do whatever we want and just like go wherever we want, say whatever we want? No, we absolutely, we absolutely do have a role. Throughout the Bible, it's clear. Be holy as I'm holy. Peter will reference that. Paul will talk about having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But here's what's important about holiness. We need to get the order right. We, we, we don't act holy in order to get to a holy God. We act holy because a holy God has gotten to us and has changed us. We don't, get, we, don't, we don't try to do a bunch of things to make God like us. He's already loved us and he's covered our sin. If we are in Jesus, if we are in Christ, 
then we are in relationship, not religion. So God is not impressed by our works, no matter how good they could be. Because it's still way too distant for a holy God. But he says, you know what, I'm going to come to you. And I love this too. What was Isaiah's problem? His mouth. God meets him at his point of need. God will meet you at your point of need. He's covered that, and he wants to take it from you. And it, and it starts with us saying, woe is me. Okay, third thing. We'll get ready to, to, to pray. When you see God as holy, you will say, woe, let's go change the world. Let's go change the world. God asks, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. God's like, hey, who's going to partner with us in this great redemption project? Who's going to get the word out? Who's going to help us in this global holiness initiative of bringing holiness to impurity? Who's going to help us with this? And Isaiah's like, I'm in. Like, no, no hesitation. I'm in. No reluctancy. I'm in. I believe, I believe this is the proper response for anybody who's been truly changed by God. I think it is the only response. I really do. Does it mean we're all called to be missionaries overseas? No. Not, not all of us, some of us. Maybe God's calling you today. And as soon as I said that, you're like, man, if God, I'll do it if he says it in his message today. And now you're like, oh my goodness. Some of us may be missionaries, but we're all called. We're all called to go out. We're all called to go out. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see? Now here's, here's this is so cool. This is so cool. We all have a part to play. Okay, go back to what we were talking about in Isaiah. He has this revelation where God's presence, which was in the holy place, now is filling the whole temple. But it doesn't stop at the temple, right? It works its way, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus says, I will, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The temple... Not long after Jesus dies, the temple is destroyed, and it's still destroyed. There's one wall remaining. But Jesus was talking about a new temple. Do you know who he's talking about? You. Me. Us. The church. The church is the presence of God, the temple of God to a lost and hurting world. Paul says it himself. says, do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you now. You are the temple. You are bringing the presence and the goodness and the grace of God to a lost and hurting world. And you have been given a holiness 
a gift that sets you apart. You've been gifted by God to bring hope and healing to a lost and hurting world. God has, God has positioned you in your workplace. God has positioned you in your family. God has positioned you in your neighborhood to be salt and light. So that the whole earth is full of the glory of God. This is Isaiah, the whole gospel in just a few verses. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Let's go. So who's in? God's saying to you, who will go? Who will serve? Who will step in to serving opportunities here? Who will step into serving opportunities? Love your neighbor, our outreach ministries. Who will go overseas? Who will say yes? You can't just sit there. You can't just sit there. When God has gotten a hold of you, he's done so much. That's what Isaiah is saying. He said, I've done so, God's done so much. You took my sin. I got to do something. Who's in? Jesus is saying, who will go? Let us all say, here am I. In whatever way you have, whatever way you want, send me. This is the gospel. Wow. Whoa. Whoa, let's go. Amen. We stand with me all across this place. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, worship team. We're going we're gonna to we're gonna worship here in just a moment, and, and, and we're going to give God praise and honor and glory. I do want to take a moment and say if you are not right with the Lord, we would love to pray with you. And today is the day of salvation. God wants to make you right, and we would love to help you on that journey. We'd love to help you on that journey. Respond to God. If you have a need in your body, we're going to pray as we worship. We'd love to pray for you and believe God to do something powerful in your life. But today, before we rush out into our, 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 our days, and I want to just take a few moments. Can we take a few moments and just in awe and reverence and Great Canyon style say, God, you are awesome. And there was no one like you. And let God do the work that he wants to do. The wow, the woe, and the woe, let's go. Would you just lift your hands all across this place? Let's just take a few moments and let's just, let's just in awe and wonder, begin to describe his holiness. God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are altogether separate and righteous and good and kind and exceptional. And God, you are worthy of praise and there is no one like you, God. There is literally none beside you. No one even comes close. No one can compare to you. And God, that makes us feel bad except for the fact that you've taken our sin from us so now we can feel great and we can come in and we can worship and freedom and, and, and in wholeness because you are making us whole. And God, we can partner with you in your great redemption project of bringing hope and healing to a lost and hurling, hurting world. Father, we just pray. God, change us change us and make us less like this world. Make us less like this world and more like you. God, we love you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory and majesty. You are worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. Take a few moments to worship. If you have a need, come down. Let's honor the Holy One today.